Truman's is a cleaning company headquartered in Lexington. They are eco-friendly. They are fun to use. They look cool. Their brand is cool. And it's two ex-big-ass fans employees who started it. You don't want to miss the story this week. We talk with Alex Reed, the CMO, all about how they got started and where they're going. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Nate Antetomaso here in Chicago, Illinois, joined by my co-host, Evan Knowles. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I just uh, got back from Kroger and got some of their fried chicken. Have you ever had their fried chicken? <laughs> no, I have not had their fried chicken. It's pretty good, man. It's really I'll good. I need to try that. I miss Kroger, but we you have Mario. You can get a whole, whole chicken for $7. Really? Yeah, it's a whole chicken, I believe. That's impressive. I, I miss Kroger, but we have Mariano's up here. It's owned by Kroger. And all of the, the like store brand stuff is Kroger, but it's like double the price, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> but, LA. Yeah, did you live in LA? You've never mentioned that. <laughs> well, today we are happy to be joined by another guest. We have Alex Reed, the co-founder and the chief marketing officer at Truman's down in Lexington, Kentucky. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Have you ever gotten a uh, a whole fried chicken from Kroger? I have not, but I'm I'm admittedly not a big meat eater. I'm more of a vegetarian, more of a fish and veggie guy myself. Okay. I need to try something like that. Um, Just kind of cutting out of red meat specifically. I eat way too much. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, here's a tip. It's a chain restaurant and, and, you know, it is what it is, but uh, the veggie and plant-based burgers they have at BurgerFi are amazing. Really? Better, better than a, an actual burger, in my opinion. That's a big statement. Check it out, yeah. Okay, I'll have to do that. And and there's, there's a lot of brands popping up. Brought to you by BurgerFi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is our first sponsor, BurgerFi. <laughs> cool. Well, as much as you love BurgerFi, and we, we could talk about it for a whole episode, I'm sure, we're here to talk about you and what you're doing with Truman's. Um, before we jump into that, if you could just kind of give us a, a high-level overview of who you are, what you're doing, where you came from, and then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, that that's a big question. It is. Um, you know, take that wherever you want to go with it. So, so um, you know, this is Alex Reed speaking. I, uh, you know, I have... Uh, background that I consider to be somewhat opportunistic. I, I grew up in Louisville, um, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I migrated about 60 miles east uh, to Lexington uh, to go to college. And, you know, I never had any intention of staying in Lexington. Um, I happened upon a small company at the time called Big Ass Fans. In fact, I hadn't even heard of the business, even though I'd been in Lexington for almost three years at this time. When my professor um, nudged me and said, hey, this company is looking for an intern this summer, um, as part of my, my curriculum at UK, we had to have an internship uh, to graduate. And so I said, I'll check it out. And I, I thought it was so cool. You know, it had that classic startup vibe, um, probably before, the, before it became cliched. You had the pool tables and, 
and the beer fridge and, and kind of the, the industrial chic office space. And I thought this is awesome. And what year was this? This was in uh, 2008. So real early for that whole vibe. Yeah, yeah. It, like I said, it was kind of the, the um, cool startup vibe before that became somewhat tacky um, or, or cliched. And and uh, so I joined in 2008 while I was still in college. And um, I had a great experience that summer. I, I was one of those individuals that just um, would take any task, take any any job and do it. And that's that's really who I am. Um, and because of that, you know, being a small company where everybody works on everything, I got exposed to a lot of different areas of the business. And I got to work really closely with the founder of the company, Carrie Smith, who, you know, is a well-known entrepreneur in, in Kentucky and, and really globally for what he accomplished. Um, so I was fortunate to not only get more responsibility than I deserved at that age, but also get to interact with somebody that was truly a market disruptor and, and learn from him. Um, I decided to stay on with the company um, post-graduation. I actually had a very light senior year, so it was almost like I got a head start and, and was working close to 40 hours a week, um, even while finishing out my undergrad, mm -hmm. um, and then just just kept at it. You know, I worked my way up through the company. I started as as kind of a marketing communications specialist and, you know, focusing on on crafting our pitch, whether it was for the media, whether it was direct marketing, um, whether it was traditional advertising, you know, this this was at a time when email marketing, digital marketing, all of this was fairly new. Um, so I learned as everybody was learning. And, and it was a really cool experience because, again, it was the right time where uh, marketing was really getting disrupted. Um, you know, you, you had a company that was in full on experimentation mode, trying different things, very entrepreneurial. So it was a perfect storm for me where, you know, I think every marketer wants that freedom to go out and try things, to make mistakes, to, to see what works. And, you know, I was afforded that. And, and because of that, you know, we were a high growth company for many, many years. Um, the company would grow 30, 40% every year, year over year without fail. It was amazing. It was, it was an incredible journey. And with that, That's crazy. I, I would take on new responsibility. Um, by 2012, you know, and bear in mind at this time, I'm, I'm like 25 years old. Um, we acquired a small company um, called Haiku that was really just a, a technology. It wasn't really commercialized, um, not at all in the US and, and, and very lightly overseas. Um, and I got tasked with building that brand and taking that product to market. Um, again, you got to keep in mind, I'm, I'm a 25 year old kid. I have no consumer marketing experience to this point. Mm -hmm. And I get charged with taking this product to market. Um, we grew that business to $60 million in three years. And it, it was a really exciting journey and it definitely is not all credit to me. There were a lot of smart people from engineering to product marketing, product management to, to the founder himself who were involved in it. But um, that kind of experience was, was absolutely incredible for me. I, I parlayed that experience and some other roles that I had at Big Ass Fans into uh, what ended up being my final role there, which was the global marketing director. Um, overseeing all marketing, all communications, um, product management, et cetera, for the company worldwide. And 
you know, it was it was really just and, and remains a cool company. It's, it's kind of become a hallmark in Lexington, which is um, so cool to see because, you know, when I started, as I said, I had never even heard of the business and it was right in my backyard. So um, my professional career was kind of a happy accident. I stumble yeah. upon this company by hearsay. I, I say no to nothing. Um, I get handed really cool opportunities. I mean, I worked hard for them, but um, so much of life, in my opinion, is good timing and taking advantage of good timing. And I was fortunate that um, the stars align with that. And so, um, you know, I met my co-founder, uh, John Bostock there. He came on from General Electric uh, in 2016. And he was really brought on to kind of rethink the way the company was structured, mm-hmm. uh, set it up for sustained success, and ultimately a succession plan um, that didn't involve the the sole proprietor, the founder anymore. So um, I worked closely with him through that process that started in, in 2017 um, uh, and lasted really the entire year to, to position the company for sale, which, you know, it ultimately did sell um, in December 2017. And, and after that, you know, I, I really felt like it was time for me to go back to what I was passionate about, which is um, finding this, this boring category, whether it's ceiling fans <laughs> or cleaning, and making a lot of noise in it. I, I felt like that was that was what I wanted to do with my career. It was successful at big ass fans and, and it could be successful in other product categories. So that's that's really what led me to Truman's and the desire to to leave big ass fans, which um, again was a great opportunity and remains a great company. Yeah, that's awesome. That's some amazing experience that I'm sure has prepared you so well for what you're doing now. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Truman. So where did that idea come from and uh, what made you ultimately decide you guys wanted to, to chase that idea and start the company? So the idea for Truman's um, is not new. And, and I think that surprises a lot of people. Um, concentrates have been around for decades and they are the standard in businesses. Um, you know, it wouldn't make sense to buy just dozens or hundreds of ready-to-use bottles and have them on your supply shelf. So my co-founder, John Bostock, um, actually got to know an individual over the past decade and served as an advisor to his company. Um, this guy runs a large commercial cleaning business. So he manufactures products for um, businesses, hotel chains, restaurant chains, schools, offices. Um, and he got to know him over the years and, and, and realized in that process that nobody uses ready-to-use cleaners in the commercial space. And, and so he looked at it and said, why are people using ready-to-use cleaners in the home? Well, when you look at concentrate technologies that are available for consumers, it requires you know a decent amount of effort. You've got you've to mix the cleaning products. You've got to make sure you get the proper dilution. Um, you know, you may have to touch the chemicals and, and some people are uncomfortable with that. So when you kind of study the market, you realize why everybody's buying cleaning products, whether it's, you know, Windex or Lysol or, or Clorox off the shelf, ready to use, even though that product is 98% water and it's convenience. You know, the, the, this country, we're a, a culture of convenience. We yeah. um, use things and we throw them away. It's, it's kind of the way of the world and it's starting to shift, I think, thankfully, but um, we, we looked at this and we said, well, nobody's really presented concentrate technology in a, a very approachable way from a product design standpoint, 
from a branding perspective, you know, it's all targeted towards the, the super green people. Um, and I think that's great, but our mission was to make concentrate technology the standard. You know, we, we set out from the beginning, we said we want, you know, with, with, without a defined period of time, we want more than half the market to consist of concentrate cleaners versus ready to use. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we felt like there was a big opportunity here that, um, you know, companies really hadn't taken advantage of from the startup side, but, you know, big companies have no motivation to go this direction. You know, they, they don't go direct to consumer for obvious reasons. They're selling to a retailer. Um, and when you think about that, it, it's all about preserving your, your place. This is a mature market. You know, it's a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar category. If you are a category manager, a product manager at a Procter & Gamble and SC Johnson, what is your motivation to potentially upset the apple cart and and destroy your market position by um, switching people from the products they've cleaned with, their moms have cleaned with, their grandmas have cleaned with, or, or grandpas, you know, there, there's really no reason when you're in that gig for two years. So, you know, there's, a, there's an obvious business reason why the larger companies haven't gone this route, even though the technology, like I said, is not new. Uh, so it, it really needed to be a startup that would come in, that would put the pressure on these companies to change. And, you know, we felt like now with the convergence of several, you know, encouraging factors, people are very open to buying directly from brands. You know, 10 yeah. years ago, maybe not the case. Um, people are very open to buying things online. You know, thank you very much, Amazon. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's growing mindshare with, environmentally friendly products, whether it's, you know, the cleaning solution itself or the packaging that it arrives in. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have the convergence of all these factors and you felt like the timing was right that, hey, now concentrates can be really successful. You know, we've got to take it to market in an interesting way. We've got to do all the right things from a business perspective. But on its face, this has every opportunity to be a very successful business. For sure. So, you said you have to take it to market in an interesting way and you have to do things right from a business perspective. There are two things uh, when I think about Truman's that come up when I hear that quote. One is the branding. And as a, as a marketing nerd myself, I could talk all day about your guys' brand and your, your tone of voice. Uh, but the other is the subscription model that you have and, and just, you know, fundamentally different than, than a one-time purchase like you would go into the store and buy Clorox. Um, so whichever one of those you want to tackle first, you know, why, why were those decisions made to have a, a quirky brand and to, to go subscription? Well, I think, you know, I would even argue there's three things. There's, there's, okay. there, there's and sorry, not, not disagreeing with you. I think, no, those, Hey, you know, better than I do. Well, I think those two things are really important. So I'll, I'll talk about those first. I think yeah. from a brand perspective, we, we, we had a strong theory coming into this. When we looked at the landscape, we saw two lanes that were being pursued. Okay. One was this super green lane that's aspirational and, you know, it saved the planet. And, and it, you know, it was very clearly targeting a certain segment of the market. And, and I think that's great, but it, that, you know, is, is very crowded and, and segmented. And I think the other side was your legacy brands. Your, I mentioned some of them, 409, Clorox, Lysol, they've been around for a hundred years. 
Um, you know them. You're probably not emotionally attached to them, but you, you probably also trust that they they clean well. What we didn't see was anybody approaching the market with this down to earth, very human brand, um, tongue in cheek. You know, not taking itself too seriously. You know, the lightheartedness was really missing from this category, and we didn't understand. You know, cleaning doesn't have. I mean, no. Most people don't love cleaning, so why can't we bring a little bit of levity to the everyday tasks that we all have to do? Um, so that was one thing from a brand perspective. We just thought, why go out with a boring brand? Why go out with a Me Too brand? Let's develop some actual personality to it. Um, from a subscription standpoint, you know, we, we offer the product with and without a subscription because we understand some people... Uh, under no circumstances want automatic um, billing, and we respect that. But it's also a replenishable. It's something. It's a consumable. It's something you go through at some frequency. You know, everybody's different, and so the subscription plans we have are extremely customizable um, because everybody cleans at a different rate. But the reality is, it's not a one-time purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're happy with your floor cleaner or your glass cleaner, odds are when you run out, you're going to get it again. Um, so from a delivery standpoint, you know, you cannot ship a ready to use cleaner in a way that makes any economic or environmental sense. It's very mm-hmm. large. It's heavy. You know, it's a product that's 98 percent water. So you're shipping just millions of pounds of water um, all over the globe every year is, is what these big cleaning brands are doing. So there's a reason they also sell them you know, in bulk and put them on a retail shelf, because yeah. to ship one bottle of glass cleaner to your mailbox is so incredibly costly and inefficient. Um, so the product packaging itself and the delivery system sets up really well from um, not just a subscription standpoint and us wanting to, you know, have that recurring revenue, obviously, but from a convenience standpoint, you know, having it at your doorstep, having extras on hand, you just couldn't do that. You know, we ship four packs of our cleaner. Could you imagine putting four you know, glass cleaners under your kitchen sink uh, it would just be uh, ridiculous from a space standpoint. And again, from a shipping cost. So, so those two things were definitely factors. The third one that I wanted to mention was product assortment. Um, if you've ever gone down the grocery aisle and really looked at the cleaning uh, aisle, the cleaning shelves, there's a ridiculous amount of choice. Oh yeah. Colors, scents, ingredients it's with so overwhelming. ammonia and what the hell does that mean to the average consumer? I mean, it, it, it's complete nonsense. And again, from when you put the business hat on, you understand why they do that. They say, oh, we can mix up if we offer it with this scent. Or you know what? Even though my kitchen cleaner is safe for granite, I'm going to offer a special granite that polishes too and sell it for $9. It, it, <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of the razor analogy and where Dollar Shave Club and Harry's came in and got it right was you don't need nine blades um, to shave your face. And, and, you know, that was something I didn't understand until I got closer in the market and understood a little bit better. You don't need a specialized cleaner for every surface. You know, there are differences in, in what you need for a bathroom versus a kitchen because the messes are different. But you shouldn't need something special for your stainless steel versus your, your granite. If, if it's a safe, non-toxic cleaner, it, it shouldn't, you know, be uh, a, a problem for any surface type. So we saw an opportunity, not just to 
you know, tell this story about concentrates and not shipping water and not wasting plastic, but to say you're you're overpaying for specialty cleaners and you have too many cleaning cleaner types, you know, in your cabinet. So mm-hmm. those really were three things that set up for us that I think, you know, again, led us to believe that that this was the right product to launch at the right time. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, Dollar Shave Club and Harry's, which with which both ultimately you know, I've gotten acquired and I'm a Dollar Shave Club club customer. And what these subscription models ultimately do is, you know, they put the pressure on the brand to continue to maintain a great relationship with those customers over the long run. And one thing I noticed that you guys do to maintain these relationships, or at least, you know, get, get your brand out there and keep personal touches. You know, you and John are very active on social media yeah. and, uh, and it's fun. It's, it's really great to watch and it's, it's entertaining um, what's your the, approach the there? And your aspect yeah, shines exactly. through too, even on LinkedIn. You're a funny follow on LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your all's, uh, you know, thoughts behind that, and uh, how long do you see that being sustainable? Uh, that's a, you know, uh, probably a tough question to, to answer at this point. But uh, what, what's what's your thoughts there? No, it's, it's a fair question, and it's a good observation because, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to do that is different is have this human centric organization. Um, and we felt like having a human centric organization meant responding to people, even if they're detractors, even if they're people that don't like what we're doing, um, engaging on all of these different platforms, having live chat on our website. I mean, imagine trying to talk to somebody at Windex. Um, I don't even know where you, I, maybe they have one of those questions <laughs> on the back. Packaging. You got you to mail them a letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we thought that this as a category was devoid from any sort of human interaction. And, you know, look, we, we learned at Big Ass Fans how important that is. Um, the Haiku product line that I mentioned, um, 75% of our sales were over the phone, which is insane to think about calling up and buying a product these days and having it shipped to your doorstep. But, but what that tells you is that people want to know who they're do, who they're doing business with. They want to know that there are real people behind the company. They want to you know know about the culture. They they want to understand why you made certain decisions. You know, we get asked all the time, "Why did you use a plastic bottle versus glass if you're trying to reduce plastic waste?" And you know, we have great answers for those sorts of things. But if we were this faceless corporation that put the website on autopilot. And, you know, didn't interact with our customers and engage with and even embracing, you know, the haters, then, you know, you miss all that stuff. So it we prioritized it from the beginning. So I think that's what you're seeing. And, and to your question about how you scale, you know, obviously, John and I, we, we need to get 24 <laughs> hours in a day and, and you know, we're going to have to pick our battles um, as the company grows. But, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that we're always going to maintain this level of personalization, period. When we think about future investments in the business, you know, we're going to prioritize human beings and people who share the spirit of Truman's, who believe in our mission, who are willing to to go out there. We even talked about, you know, as we add individuals to the team, you know, they're going to have to have um, some personal account, not their personal, personal account, but they're going to have to interact as human beings. You know, we're not going to have 
have faceless individuals um, interacting with customers. And it's just really important to us. And I think, you know, what kind of the whole concept of what's new is old, um, you know, in a world that that feels like everything's being automated and, and, and becoming impersonal, I think they're there's something that people relish um, when you can put a personal touch on it. And, and just one more example is, you know, we've started to put note cards in our packaging. Um, people really appreciate that. They love it. We, we get feedback all the time that, that they enjoyed receiving that. And I, I think it's those little things that, you know, remind a customer that there are people behind this business, people that care, people that, that want to make sure your experience was positive, that, sets you apart from, you know, again, the companies whose customers are retailers, not the end user. Yeah, makes sense. So, you know, question I have back to the subscription revenue model, if you can share, what's your percentage of revenue that comes from recurring revenue versus one-time purchases? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't share that just because yeah, of the yeah. sensitivity. Um, we, we see a good mix though, and, and um, we're also early. What I would say is, you know, we've been, this is our third full month um, of operating. So any data that I shared anyways at this point will likely yeah. be different in a few yeah. months. Um, but what we're seeing is that in either case, you know, people reorder. Um, it's more of a it's more of a preference, I would say, than anything. And, and if you've observed when you look at our, our website, um, it wasn't something that we offered at the beginning. You know, we were. 100% subscription. So another reason to have this human organization is because you you hear from your customers and, and you're forced to to acknowledge that there are um, I won't call them issues, but opportunities to improve. And and that was one of them for us. Clearly, you know, we we had people who did not want to order with any sort of automatic billing. So what we did was we introduced that option, but you know, with a slightly higher price at 75 cents more per cleaner, which I don't believe is unreasonable. And I don't think our, our customers have felt that that's unreasonable because clearly there's there's operational efficiency to be gained from knowing exactly when you're going to ship something. Um, and so that was one of those things that, you know, I tell people we've, we've of course, made um, all kinds of mistakes. And, and that's part of, um, you know, starting a business and growing a business. But, but what's important is that you react swiftly to them. And, and that was definitely one of the mistakes that I, I'd happily acknowledge is, you know, for for us, it's clearly easier if somebody's on a subscription plan yeah. um, because we know when that order is coming through. But um, we figured out a way to make it work for all of our customers and the response has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. For sure. So one thing that I want to circle back to, you know, we, we talked about how you guys decided that the market was ripe for for this product. But how did you guys, you know, create the product and test the product and, you know, any kind of physical product, especially chemical related? I'm sure there's a lot of testing and a, a lot that goes into that. Can you speak to that process at all? Yeah. So, you know, you think about the infrastructure required, um, you know, the testing, as you mentioned, the manufacturing, the quality mm -hmm. insurance that's required. Um, it's very capital intensive. Um, if you were just going to one day wake up and say, I think I want to start a, a cleaning products company and you weren't a rich chemist, <laughs> you would have a hard <laughs> go of it. Yeah. Um, so what we did was we partnered with a company that, uh, as I mentioned, services the commercial space. Um, so we had the ability to um, leverage 
intellectual property, leverage manufacturing expertise, logistical expertise, regulatory expertise, um, testing all of those things that you mentioned that were important um, without having to do that from scratch. So, you know, that was a big advantage for us. And I think, you know, it, it'd be very difficult to get into this space without having a strong partner. And, and so, you know, what made sense for us was to find somebody that, you know, is is kind of in the the nitty gritty on the chemical side, but isn't a consumer product company, because really that's what, what John and I, you know, bring to the table as individuals. You know, we, what we did at Big Ass Fans and how we grew that company was not because we were engineers and, you know, I knew how to design a printed circuit board or, you know, how to get the right torque, you know, out of, out of what motor. I didn't know anything about that. I mean, <laughs> you learn over the years, but, um, you know, it's, it's funny because when I announced that I was doing this, people were like, why are you going into cleaning? Yeah. And I thought that was such a funny question because nobody ever asked me why I was in the fan business. <laughs> you know, established, it was an established company and they saw it and they saw the success. But with this being a startup, they're like, you don't know anything about cleaning. I'm yeah. like, I didn't know anything about ceiling fans either. <laughs> um, but you know, you gotta let the experts do what what they do and and work with them collaboratively. And that's you know, even though the the company that we're working with is not part of Truman's, i.e., you know, at Big Ass Fans, the engineers were part of the company. Yeah, same concept. It, it's you know, work with really smart people and and let them do what they do well, and then you layer on your value. Yeah, for sure. I mean, having that subject matter expert that you can ping at any time is is invaluable and to to kind of talk about the product a little bit because i don't think we have yet correct me if i'm wrong you guys have four different cleaners that you launch with correct yeah we have four cleaners for the entire home for every hard serve mm -hmm. and so uh, that's amazing to to launch with four different products yeah and, and honestly if we could have launched with one or two we we would have done that like for us mm -hmm. it, it it's about the least number of products within this category. We saw just an amazing amount of unnecessary complexity yeah. with product lines for surface cleaners. And, you know, we, we wanted to keep it as minimal as possible, but the more you look at it, you know, you've got to have these four. Again, the, the dirts and soils from a kitchen are just way different from a bathroom. They're different from glass. They're different from floors. So, you know, we, we ultimately decided that that was the right product mix for us to launch with. Um, and I think people are, you have two, two sides of the coin. You have some people that are in disbelief that we can clean the entire home with four cleaners. Yeah. You have people that say, why can't I just use one multi-purpose cleaner? <laughs> that would be me as I clean my apartment. Yeah. And, and so there's a little bit of an education process. And, I, you know, yeah. again, we, we took lessons from big ass fans. Anytime you're trying to um, to change a market, I, I think there's that process of education. And, um, you know, we're, we've certainly taken on that challenge. But um, at, at the end of the day, you know, we wanted to launch with those four cleaners and a very crisp message that, you know, you don't need dozens of scents and colors and specialty surface cleaners like there's too much like try these four cleaners and you know we make it very flexible because the other thing is cleaning's personal um you know it's hard to sell efficacy 
um, you have to try it and you have to see if, if, it, if you feel like it cleans your surface well, you know, you'll get a hundred people that tell you, oh my gosh, I've never seen my countertop so clean. And then you'll have somebody that's like, I, it didn't clean at all. And you're like, okay, what, I don't know what you're judging that on, but um, it's a very personal thing. So we've made it super flexible to where, you know, you, the starter kit includes all four. We want you to try them. But after that, if, if you only love our glass cleaner, only get our glass cleaner. Yeah. Um, and so th there's a different approach to the market. You know, when you, again, go back to the supermarket picture and you're picking up something, if you're Windex, you're hoping that they love your glass cleaner and they're going to try out one of your other surface cleaners. We're approaching it a little bit differently and saying you only need four for the entire home. We're going to have you try all four and then you can decide if you want to keep all four, if you want to keep three or two or one. So we're kind of going at it from a, a completely different approach um, than the cleaning brands that are all fighting for, for mind share on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of those cleaning brands, they're all, you know, fighting for that mind share and approaching this in such an incumbent way in an old, uh, you know, you could say old fashioned way. Um, have you guys heard any chatter from them? Have you, they reached out? You know, you guys are doing something really exciting and new and have obviously gotten a lot of great marketing and buzz behind it. What's the word in the market so far from those incumbents? <laughs> we've definitely, um, we've definitely got some attention. Um, and, it's probably not what you would think either. It's interesting. And you always have to remind yourself that companies are just a collection of people. Um, you know, you tend to think of them as these faceless organizations, but um, all of the companies that I've referenced have hundreds or thousands of people that work for them. And they care about the same issues that we care about. They don't want the planet trashed. You know, they want to see a real change. I've had a lot of individuals who still work for these companies or used to work for the companies reach out and congratulate us, applaud us, tell us to keep going, please help us change this industry. Because as I mentioned, you know, early on in the conversation, they're kind of stuck. Um, it's an individual who's going to push for this change and probably lose his job because of it. And, you know, they, they've got the same motivations that, that you and I do, you know, they want to do they want to do well, but they want to take care of their families. And so, you know, you unwind it and it's sort of less surprising that they're all reaching out and cheering us on. Um, so, you know, we, we've been overwhelmed with the amount of positive response um, to our concept. And if nothing else, it was it was really validating for us. I think that the, the big cleaning brands, um, you know, are encouraging us to keep going <laughs> and do it. And yeah. that, it just tells you it's long overdue and that it, it is going to take a startup or a number of startups to really to move the needle. And, um, you know, it, that that reminds me, we, when, when I talk about our haters, you know, one subset is is the people that are already using concentrates and our brand loyal. Mm -hmm. and they say, well, I use this and it's better. Um, we tell them that's great. You're you're helping us with our mission. You know, we want more than 50% of the market to use concentrates. So thank you. You know, even if it's not ours, thank you. And, and there's really not a lot that you can say to that. You know, at the end of the day, we, we, we feel like to set an arbitrary goal for valuation or to have an exit or, you know, to be this size of employees or revenue is, is not the most motivating thing. I mean, I don't know how you really yeah, rally yeah. 
yourself around that as a mission. So, you know, John and I talked, uh, my co-founder, John Bostock, talked for a long time about what we want our mission to be, or, or excuse me, what we wanted our, our goal to be. And it was, we want to see the market shift. We want to see the pendulum swing to where ready-to-use cleaners are the minority. Yeah, yeah, that's very, that's amazing. It's, it's inspiring. It definitely is, man. And when I thought, when you were saying that, I was thinking of, this is, another company that's really coming along and, and taking an environmental route and really disrupting the market and it's Tesla. You know, when people think of Tesla, Elon Musk's goal all along has been to move electric into the mainstream and really push that along and push the other players to move towards that. And it's a goal bigger than Tesla. And you guys are kind of going along that same route. You guys have a goal that's bigger than just Truman's. You mentioned that if a competitor's fans are talking trash to you, and you say, hey, we're, we have the same goal. You know, ultimately, we're trying to change how this is done. That's really inspiring. I, I definitely applaud you guys for that. Yeah, that, that's awesome feedback, Evan. I had never thought about uh, that analogy, but you're 100% right. I mean, he has moved the needle, you know, no question, with the electric vehicle market. And, you know, I think <laughs> he's used uh, some subsidies and, and public money to, to accomplish that. So, um, I, I understand why he probably gets more flack than than maybe we do, but but you're right. I mean, he is uh, he is singularly focused on changing that market. And when you think about what the Fords and GMs have done in response to you know Tesla, who's by volume, I mean, just microscopic compared to those companies. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible how much the it's weird to call them a startup because of how, how large they are by market cap, but it's incredible to see what a startup could do to the biggest industry giants in the U S and, you know, the automotive industry that, in the world too. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an, that's a, you know, that's a flattering analogy to make. And I hope <laughs> we're able to put that same <laughs> on, but uh, that, that's, yeah, I, I love that. So yeah, absolutely. So let's zoom back in a little bit then. Um, I think that is a great analogy, Evan. And, you know, hopefully you guys can reach, you know, 50% of that even. Um, but let's zoom back in, back down to Lexington, because uh, Evan kind of alluded to this in one of his questions. You guys have gotten some amazing press, and I'm, I'm sure that's largely thanks to you, Alex. Um, but all of the the big press that I've seen you guys get are, are national outlets, which is obviously amazing. Any company wants to get that. Um, but I haven't seen anything in Lexington. You guys are uniquely positioned being in the region. Um, that's what this whole podcast is about, obviously. Um, but, you know, what kind of traction are you seeing uh, in, in Lexington, in Louisville, in Cincinnati, um, maybe from a press perspective, but even from a customer perspective? Um, you know, can you talk about being in the area? Well, first of all, I can only take 90% credit of all Truman's success. I have to at least give John 10% credit. <laughs> every now and then to Overall, 10%. Right? Yeah. No, no I mean, look, it, it, it's tough. I, I mean, uh, the earned media side of marketing is, is really similar to the traditional side. You know, when you think about product marketing, it's all about product market fit. Yeah. When you think about Lexington and what resonates with the viewers. I don't know that the startup tech scene is is what they want to tune in and see about and see on the five o'clock news. And 
Um, you know, I don't think there's there's um, any malice or or you know anything like that where you know they're ignoring Truman's and what we're trying to do. I I think it's more about the audience and what the audience cares about. You know, Evan has pointed out that there's almost this culture clash in Lexington and. You know, you have very traditional industries here. And, you know, I think there's there's going to be a shift over time, but it's going to be a little more gradual. And the tech scene, you know, doesn't happen overnight. It takes companies, you know, like Fuji, you know, like um, like Truman's, hopefully, and, and others that have come before it um, to really kind of change the business landscape. And and hopefully, you know, what, what we're doing from a Lexington standpoint is showing the community and, and hopefully the, the country at large, but really showing the community that um, this can be a entrepreneurial hub. It can be a tech hub. There's all kinds of resources here from, from a talent standpoint, from a capital standpoint, you know, the, the geography is fantastic. It's a great place to raise a family. There's so many advantages um, to Lexington and, and Kentucky as a region that I think get ignored and, and so, you know, you're right. I think that we, we've um, ironically received more attention from, I'd say, the national media than, than the local media. But hopefully what we're doing for kind of the tech and, and entrepreneurial community as a whole is just kind of raising awareness in, in general that this is a great place um, to start a company. Um, I, I can't answer definitively to your question about why that is. Um, I, I think it does have something to do with with just what people um, care about in the region. But I think that's going to shift over time. Yeah. I really do. I, I think it's already started. Um, yeah. I, Have you seen a shift from your big ass fans days? Um, you know, big ass fans was tough because when it was really a startup, um, you know, it was over a decade ago. And now you probably would put it more in, in the category of um, a temper Sealy or, um, yeah. You know, in all tech, I mean, those are bigger companies, but but you think about them more in, in that vein than you would a Fuji. And, yeah. um, you know, but it was it was a similar situation. We had a lot of national attention. In fact, uh, I think October before the sale of the business, we got a front page article in The New York Times, which is just incredible. I mean, you talk about punching above your weight. Um, we were constantly engage with the media and uh yeah i mean i i think it's a two-way street though and, and what i mean by that is i think you know at big ass fans we certainly could have done a better job of being more active in the community um you know so i, I maybe there's a little bit of that where there's favoritism to local businesses and i don't mean local in the sense that their headquarters in, is in lexington but that their constituency is in lexington yeah. So a lot of startups, and rightfully so, are are built to be national or global brands because why would you exclude large portions of the market? Um, but because of that, I think there is a little bit of, of bias away, you know, versus I was listening on the local public radio this morning, a ton of attention being paid to um, the Country Boy expansion, which is fantastic. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's great for the local business that they're doing a, a over a million dollar expansion um, and that they're available in, in several of the surrounding states. But, you know, the reality is, and I'm not knocking it, it's not a national business at this point. 
So they're, when you think about their media strategy, they probably are more focused on their relationship with the, the media in the region. And, and so it probably has something to do with that as well. Um, and, but again, I, I think hopefully that that mindset on both sides starts to shift a little bit because I do think there are some hidden gems that, that don't necessarily get the attention that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And ultimately, that's that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is we definitely address and understand, the, as you alluded to, the, the culture clash. Um, and, you know, we understand it's going to take time, but ultimately we're trying to push that just a little bit faster than maybe it might without us. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do uh, with the podcast. And press and media is just one part of the ecosystem when it comes to having a, a healthy startup ecosystem and a business ecosystem. Uh, you know, there's capital, there's talent, uh, there's all these other things that yeah. contribute. Uh, what are some of the things that you think Lexington are, is doing right and, and, and doing wrong in, in this um, ecosystem? You know, we always want to try to uh, point out what Lexington's doing well and point out what it could do better so that it can continue to move. You're right. I mean, I think it's the sum of all parts. Um, and you want to make sure that you have a business and, and specifically a startup friendly climate. Um, you know, I look at the fact that we don't have WeWork in Lexington. <laughs> I think we should have WeWork. I think there should be more more opportunities for people to find collaborative workspace because uh, great ideas are, are born out of unexpected interactions. Um, you know, that's a small thing. I, I'd like to see other things. I'd like to see see tax incentives um, for, for people starting and or keeping businesses in the region. Um, just a little bit more maybe purposeful advantages given. I think, you know, I mentioned earlier in the conversation, there are a ton of advantages to the region. I mean, you can look at it a number of ways, uh, education system, low cost of living, you know, th- th- there's just, there's, there's a ton of reasons to start a business here, but I think to become more competitive in kind of the tech and entrepreneurial space, uh, the the city the state has to be purposeful has to has to try to create an environment where people want to start a business where there's support there's there are incentives there are grants whatever it may be like go above and beyond to foster that community don't just let it happen um really try to drive it and i think you know lexington um was about the same size as Austin, Texas, 20, 30 years ago. Really? So to think about that and put in perspective what's changed, they're university towns, they were IBM towns, they had all the same opportunities um, to, to grow from a startup standpoint. And you look at Austin and it's just in a completely different different exploded stratosphere yeah in terms of not only attracting startups in, in the tech community but big tech companies as well um and i think you know if i were a city official looking at that i'd say what was their playbook what do they do how can we replicate it how can we foster that that community of entrepreneurship because again i think the the building blocks are all here for Lexington and, and Kentucky at large. You know, you look at Northern Kentucky and what's happening there. You look at Louisville and what's happening there. I think there's there's a ton of chances, but you've got to be aggressive about it. it you know, one crazy example was that HQ2 
Um, mm-hmm. I think really put it under a microscope of cities pitching for businesses. Now, you know, whether that was right or wrong uh, is a different topic, but I think when cities are motivated, you can tell they, they have the ability to make it attractive for businesses and, and for startups. And I think that it just has to become a priority for, for Lexington to experience the same kind of growth that Austin has had. For sure. So we always like to wrap up our conversation with a forward looking statement. So we just kind of talked about where you think, uh, you know, the good things and the bad things about Lexington, but where do you see the town and the ecosystem moving forward? And then of course, where do you see Truman's going next? What's next for your, you guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I see positive things for Lexington. To me, it's a question of, um, how fast it's not, will Lexington grow? Will Lexington be successful? It's how fast will they grow? How successful yeah. will it be? And, you know, it's not all, you, you can't wait and, and hope that the incentives are in place. You know, it's definitely on, on the population as well. So I love your all's mindset. I love that there are Fuji's and Zometries and, and all of these companies here, you know, really pushing to, to kind of change the landscape. So, you know, I see Lexington continuing to grow. And I think the the pace of which they it grows is, is really going to be dependent on um, the people who live here and, and how involved um, really the, the government wants to get in making it attractive to start a company here. Um, for Truman's, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish I had that crystal ball. You know, I wish I could say where we're going to be. I think we're going to work our asses off to, to make <laughs> it successful. Of course. Um, you know, we see traction. We're, we're off to an amazing start. I mean, we're growing 50% month over month. Um, our, our, our customers, our reviews, our comments are, are overwhelmingly favorable. So I think we have all of the markings of a business that can be wildly successful and, and accomplish those goals that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's on us. We, we have to keep at it. You know, we're set up for success. So I feel good about that. But I'm I'm not comfortable. I'm not satisfied. Um, I'm I'm really eager to to you know make things happen for this company. So you know hopefully we have a story kind of like Method. Um, yeah. You know throw out a competitor. Method was was a nobody 20 years ago, and and they really changed the industry in a different way. But you know that's the kind of impact I want to have on, on this industry, and I think we will. So. Um, you know, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's plenty more to come, but I, I think we're going to make a lot of noise in this market and hopefully in the community at large.